Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero we deserved, but the hero we needed. This is the Big Six. It's going to be you. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch. Happy Friday. Welcome in. It's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name, Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. Might not be the best night to try and call in as we have a busy, busy show. Murphy Fair will finish it off tonight as we'll talk high school football. Coming up next segment, we're going to spend a decent amount of time with Gary Myers. He's written for the New York Daily News written out in Dallas. He has done basically everything when it comes to covering the NFL. He's written five books. His latest one is called How About Them Cowboys? And it's about the Cowboys basically dating back to the time he was the beat writer for the team in 1978. He's been there through the entire Jerry Jones era. This book is tremendous. And so I think you're really going to enjoy that conversation coming up a little bit later. Sunday, Titans Chargers. On paper... This is exactly what you would expect in terms of how people believe this game is going to go. No one is picking the Tennessee Titans, and no one should. If you heard the show yesterday, you heard me go down my list of the... The list of six yesterday was the top six NFL teams to this point in the season. And the Chargers were number five. The LA Chargers, with Phillip Rivers having the best season maybe of his career at age 36. 15 touchdowns, three interceptions. His passer rating is 115. He's averaging 284 yards per game, 1,700 yards. Only Drew Brees has a higher passer rating right now than Phillip Rivers does. Fourth in QBR, only with Mahomes, Brees, and Goff above him. Then you got Melvin Gordon. Third in yards behind only Todd Gurley and Zeke Elliott, not by a lot. 30 catches for 279 yards and three scores there also. Nine total touchdowns. Tyrell Williams is emerging in the receiving core. Keenan Allen emerged a long time ago. Defense doesn't have Joey Bosa. They're not going to have Joey Bosa Sunday. He's going to be coming back. They're basically a middle-of-the-pack defense right now, and they're only going to get better. This is a game that should not be close. But I'm here to tell you, London really makes this thing wonky to me. It's just different. I don't know how these two teams are going to react to the long flight, to the jet lag. Maybe they're still tired. Maybe they've gotten over it. There's just so many factors here that make this more of an odd game. A lot of these games in London are blowouts. Jim Wyatt said that on Monday Night Titans. He's absolutely right. Could be again. The Titans have this really odd propensity to play up to certain competition, to punch up, to punch above their weight class. They're also going to... Well, 
they're going to play down to their competition. We've seen both already this season. But the Titans have lost two games in a row and have looked terrible doing it. The Buffalo game, you thought that was bad, that 13-12 to game, until you went to Nissan Stadium, if you did, like I was unfortunate enough to have to do, to see that 21 to nothing shutout, first shutout loss in the history of that building, 11 sacks of Marcus Mariota. If you remember... Monday Night Titans, if you're not listening to that show, by the way, we do that on Monday. Jim Wyatt, Mark Mariani with me. We do it from Martin's Barbecue live on 4th and Broadway. I mentioned that I talked to my good friend Jeff Schwartz, who played on the offensive line in the NFL for eight years and co-hosts with me when Clay Travis is out on Outkick the Coverage, which you may have heard this week, three days at least. We we did uh, not today, but we did Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday on the show. And Jeff went back and charted all these sacks. And... What he told me was the Ravens played a lot of man coverage and they brought an extra defender and they were brilliant in the way that they handled it. They brought a spy to Marcus Mariota. Now, this is not taking all the onus off of Marcus and it's not taking all of the responsibility away from the offensive line. Nobody handled this particularly well, but he told me that, and this is something I would not have known that the spy defender in many of these cases is not accounted for by the offensive line very often. He can get lost, he can get ignored, he can get overlooked. And as a result, when it's done right, and Wink Martindale is proving he can do it right as a defensive coordinator in the way that he's sending these blitzes, is that the spy defender sits there and watches. He watches two things. One of them, I'm sure you already know, is Mariota going to pull it down and try to run? The second thing is... Is Derrick Henry, is Deion Lewis, is whoever is in the backfield for that team at that point in time staying in to block? He makes his decision based on the second, but really he makes his decision based on the first. If Marcus doesn't run, the immediate responsibility of the spy defender in the Ravens' defensive scheme is to become an added pass rusher. And it's not the same guy each time. It was a linebacker, or it was a safety, or it was a corner. It was not the same spy defender. So Mariota never really knew where the extra guy was coming from, and it was that guy. Jeff used the words terrorized and disrupted in terms of what the Ravens were able to do to Marcus Mariota. Now, if you looked at ESPN.com, they were doing some advanced analytics and some next-gen stats. Marcus held the ball or is holding the ball this season for around four and a half seconds. So he's not he's got to get it out of his hand. The rest of the league, at least most of the good quarterbacks in the league, are around two and a half seconds, 2.6 seconds, and they have a quick release. Mariota's holding it too long. I don't know what the reason is necessarily for that, but his offensive line is not good enough to hold up against decent defenses in those situations. We saw that against Buffalo. We saw that against Baltimore. The Los Angeles Chargers without Joey Bosa are not quite as fearsome in that category. They're still pretty good down the field, but again, they're about a 15th-ranked defense. It's the offense that scares you because Phillip Rivers is passing the ball at such a high level, and right now the Titans' secondary has not proven to be very good, and Malcolm Butler is going to be matched up outside again. If he's one-on-one, I'm expecting him to get burned again. The Tennessee Titans get a bye after this game, and then they play Dallas, who's starting to look a little bit better all of a sudden. So this could be... This is a really important game for the Titans to try and win. I don't know that they can do it. My head tells me they are going to play decent. They are not going to play as badly as they have the last two weeks. I don't know that that's because they've refocused or everything is going on in practice or they're tired of hearing some of the things maybe that they've heard about their team over the last couple of weeks. 
I just have a sense that London's going to make this a strange morning. And again, the kick is early. It's 8.30 Central Time on Sunday morning. We'll have it for you here on 104.5 The Zone. The Titans radio crew is over there. Midday 180 is over there as well. I'll be hosting for those guys on Monday. In addition to Outkick the Coverage, which you'll hear from 5 to 8 on Monday, or you'll hear from 5 to 6 live here on The Zone as Clay is going to be on his travels back from England as well. So I don't know what to say about this game. I don't think the Titans can beat the Chargers right now. But you really need, if you're a Titans fan, I think at this stage, to see a good Marcus Mariota performance or a better-than-expected one because right now it's not looking real good for him. And this is, he, he probably has another year. I don't think the Titans are necessarily going to do anything at quarterback this year. They've got to get a wide receiver. That's obvious. They need another guy in addition to Corey Davis, especially now that he's attracting so much attention. But today, the key to the Titans has to be get somebody else involved. Coming up after the break, Gary Myers. He's written a brand new book. He is really good at what he does. His new book's all about the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Came out about a week and a half ago. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. We're going to spend a couple of segments with him and then catch up with Murphy Fair and talk some high school football to end the show. Speaking of high school football, it's time to check in with our good friend Tom Duggan at DTCSports.TV. How you doing, Tom? Jason, doing great, man. We're in Watertown tonight and uh, got a great game coming up. Man, I tell you what, a lot of buzz on the eastern side of Wilson County with the Watertown Purple Tigers, 8-0 and on the season. They're ranked number three in the state in the 2A classification. And last week with a win over Jackson County, they clinched their first district or region championship since 1985. So there's a lot of excitement surrounding this Watertown team. And I tell you what, they've really, you know, when I say they've raced to this 8-0 record, they're beating people by an average of about 37 points per game. And they're getting a lot of offense from a fine sophomore tailback. Doramus Carey, remember this name, only a sophomore, but already through eight games, 1,221 rushing yards and uh, 21 total touchdowns. This young man is really having a great season. And uh, the team also with Tennessee Tech commit Heath Price, He's got 1,034 all-purpose yards and leads the team with 84 tackles on defense. So this is a Watertown team, man. They are four real, knocked off Trousdale County early in the season and have asserted their dominance in Region 4-2A. Now, they're playing Smith County, a team that's traditionally pretty good in a 3A classification, but Smith County's had a bit of a down year this year after losing the majority of their offensive skill positions a year ago. Still, Smith County, they're kind of enjoying a late-season surge. They have lost five in a row at one time, but they've won back-to-back games, including a big win last week at Cannon County that put them right back in the playoff mix. And if they win, in fact, they've got to win Week 11 over Grundy. If they do that, Smith County will make the playoffs for the fourth consecutive year. So they're getting hot kind of at the right time, and I think this will be a good test for Watertown. They've not had a real team coming in with some uh, weapons like Smith County has in the last few weeks. I think it's going to be a good game tonight. And of course, if folks are out there, whether you're at a game watching or if you're just sitting at home, you can uh, tune in and watch our game live. If you've got your mobile device with you, just go to www.dtc3.com. 
TV. That's again www.dtc the number three dot TV Watertown Smith County and uh, Jason. We're right down to the nitty gritty here. Just two weeks of the regular season left, and some big big games these next two weeks. Yeah, I can't believe that it's only two weeks left, Tom. I really can't. It feels like it just started. Football season comes and goes so fast, but of course the games that matter really being played tonight in Watertown is awfully good. Boy, can they ever run it over twenty one hundred yards. So we'll definitely be paying attention tonight dtc3.tv for the live stream they do a great job coming up next gary myers his book on the cowboys is excellent i think you're really going to dig this it's next big six 104.5 the zone Welcome back, Big Six, Friday edition here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number, if you want to join us, is 615-737-1045. That's 737-1045. I think you're going to enjoy this. We're talking a whole lot of football today, even though we've gotten a little bit of other stuff certainly into the show. we got some high school football coming up to close, but... This guy has written basically everywhere. Used to be a columnist for the New York Daily News. He's covered the NFL since the year I was born, 1978. The Cowboys beat writer for the Dallas Morning News. He's written four other books. Brady versus Manning is one that I read and really enjoyed just a couple of years ago. He's done Inside the NFL. He's been on the Yes Network as well. And his new book is called How About Them Cowboys. He is best-selling author Gary Myers. Gary, good morning. How are you? I am doing great. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing good. So I, I really enjoyed this book, and I have a number of, of different questions. And, and of what I've really been able to get through, there are so many just cool tidbits and cool stories about the Cowboys, of which I'm sure there are many more that you could write future volumes. But I want to start here. I think this is more of a broad, sweeping question. Obviously, the largest the largest ego in the room belongs to Jerry Jones. And it has for a long time. Is Jerry Jones, in your opinion, both the biggest benefit and the biggest possible detriment to the Dallas Cowboys just in terms of a positive-negative relationship? There's a whole lot about Jerry that's really good, especially in terms of what he can mean to the media landscape. And I think it's sometimes he can also be the team's worst enemy. You know, that's a great question. And you probably nailed it right there. I mean, he's definitely... Uh, is obsessed and consumed with trying to win, but he doesn't always go about it the right way. So they they have the pros and cons right there, is that you have an owner who uh, is willing to put the funds necessary into putting the best product on the field, but the fact that Jerry is also the general manager of the Cowboys does not work to their benefit, uh, as evidenced by the fact that they haven't been in the Super Bowl in over 20 years. Yeah, your time, at least the time that you've been around Jerry Jones, how do you mm-hmm. find him? Do you find him to be an affable, charming guy? Generally speaking, do you like him? Well, I've known him forever because I was working at the Dallas Morning News when he bought the team. Yeah. So uh, probably of all the media people, I've known him the longest. I can't say the best because I haven't been around him on a day-to-day basis you know, for since I moved back to New York in 1989, but I've known him the longest. I know him very well. And I've seen him, you know, at the very start of this journey with the Cowboys and stayed in touch with him over the years. And obviously I spent a lot of time with him as I was preparing this book. And 
I've always found Jerry to um, be very accommodating, very friendly. Um, um, I'm trying to think. He's he's extremely smart, a, a really, really smart businessman. I mean, everybody knows that. He got into the Hall of Fame based on the contributions he made to the NFL financially in terms of changing the way, changing the business model, uh, introducing new ways to do sponsorships, getting a lot of money out of the stadium, things of that nature. He, I, I like to say, Jason, that he, he taught uh, multi-millionaires how to become multi-billionaires. <laughs> right. Which doesn't necessarily benefit you and I, but it benefits some, you know, people who are really rich becoming really, really rich. But, um, yeah, he, he was, you know, I, I say that he, um, he was very cooperative with me in, uh, in, in allowing me multiple times to interview him for the book. It's, it's important for me to let people know this book was not done in conjunction with him, uh, meaning it was a totally independent project. But I appreciated his cooperation. There was no limitation on what I could ask him. He didn't. Uh, he didn't answer any question with a no comment, except I, I. I did ask him whether Justin Timberlake got a hometown discount. He got a hometown <laughs> discount from Justin Timberlake at his Hall of Fame party in Ken, because I found out the total fee for the party was eight million dollars, and I was really curious how much that went to Justin Timberlake, and. He said that he he promised uh, Timberlake that he would never reveal exactly how much he paid to have him perform at the party. So my guess is that they wanted to keep the, the number a secret because uh, Timberlake didn't necessarily charge Jerry his going rate. But um, that's probably the only question he wouldn't answer is exactly how much he paid Justin Timberlake. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I can understand why he might have been a little bit... Uh... I don't know. Illusive. But I will say this: He gave a, a world. I was there at the party. It was it was a great benefit for me to be there to observe and and talk to people. I will say that he put on a, a world class uh, performance. He was up there for a while, and uh, it was pretty cool. Without getting into necessarily the politics of it all, early on in the book, I think it's in the third chapter, when you're talking about Jerry, you do talk about the anthem, which of course he was mm -hmm. certainly one of the folks that has risen up in the news just in terms of that particular story and also his relationship with the current uh, reside or the current resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue uh, in the White House. Was he willing also there to be relatively open with you about his situations and the complications there? Did you find him to be at all just dismissive of that, or was he very open there? No, I, I think that he has been open about that, both with me and, and, and getting his feelings across. Uh, mainly, he has a great forum in Dallas because he has his, uh, a radio show on Tuesday mornings with some local hosts, and um, I've heard it several times, and during that whole anthem controversy, he, he was not shy about expressing his feelings and wanting his players to stand for the anthem and 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 taking action against them in terms of playing time or even perhaps in terms of their ability to remain on the roster um, if they didn't stand for the anthem. And he felt very, very strongly about that. And I think part of it, he was regardless of what his personal feelings were, I think he was kind of playing to the crowd on that one because, you know, in the state of Texas, 
Um, people were, were very turned off by the players kneeling for the anthem. And no cowboy ever did. They had a couple of play- I think they had a couple of players that raised their fists. Yeah. But none, none of the cowboy players ever kneeled down for the anthem. But they let, the fans let, uh, Jerry know in, in no uncertain terms that that was not something that they would be supportive of. And so in effect, Jason, it came, became, became somewhat of a business decision for Jerry, again, regardless of what his personal feelings might be. But he didn't want the anthem controversy costing him his fans. And people in Texas felt very strongly about the whole situation. And as a result, Jerry's the one owner in the NFL who, who came out and said he would not put up with players kneeling down. We're probably going to bounce around in eras, even though the book obviously goes more more chronologically. Even though it bounces around a little bit, and we'll talk a mm-hmm. we'll talk about a a volunteer. This is one of Tennessee Vols' biggest affiliates, and we'll talk about Jason Witten and Tony Romo coming up in the next segment. One thing I found interesting in the book was Troy Aikman being just as clean cut as he appeared to be in terms of being a very mature guy, also somebody that kind of kept his head down amidst a lot of turmoil and craziness that went on during that time frame within that Dallas Cowboys locker room. But just the idea, and I know that you pointed it out in the book, that Troy you know, went and testified in Michael Irvin's behalf mm-hmm. in that drug trial. And to this day, the way it comes across, certainly in print in your book, is that Michael Irvin truly respects and loves Troy Aikman for what he did for him. Oh, without question. I mean, I, he felt that way about Troy, you know, prior to Troy being the only player coming down to support him um, in that Dallas courthouse. They had a very close relationship, and they shared the same passion for winning and work ethic. Um, so their bond was tight, and that's that's why Aikman, I mean, he wasn't condoning, and he, he was very clear on this. By showing up, he wasn't condoning what Irvin did. In fact, I'm sure he was extremely disappointed. Um, but he was he was just showing support for his friend and didn't want to turn his back on him when he needed people to support him. And, um, you know, I, I spent a bunch of time with Michael, again, you know, getting the book ready. And he, he gets emotional talking about his friendship with Troy and how much that that meant to him and how he even encouraged Troy not to, come to the courthouse because of Troy's image and he didn't want him to have to deal with any negativity by supporting Michael. But, you know, Troy's a really, really loyal guy. And it's why his teammates, if you had the same passion and work ethic as Troy, he would do anything for you. He just didn't um, suffer incompetence or laziness very well. And, so to this day, you know, Michael and Troy are as, as, as close as as close as can be. We're going to keep Gary and talk to him a little bit more after the break. Another couple of teammates that were thick as thieves I want to ask about next. One of them, a former Vol. That's a tease for you. We'll be right back with more Gary Myers talking about his book, How About Them Cowboys? It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Friday, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin, your host on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. 
Talking with Gary Myers, his new book, How About Them Cowboys, came out about a week and a half ago. It is a great, great read. Right before the break, we were talking about Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and how close they got and how much respect Michael Irvin still has for Troy Aikman and vice versa in terms of being true teammates and true winners. I read the story, Gary, about just how tight Tony Romo and Jason Witten were to the extent right. that Terrell Owens wanted out of Dallas because he felt like Tony Romo did nothing but look at his tight end when he was ready to try and throw it downfield. But you tell the story about how they met at an airport and kind of befriended one another on the shuttle. And you had Witten, who was a highly touted you know, third-round draft pick, and Tony Romo, who no one knew from Adam, and just how those guys are the best of friends. Yeah, now it wasn't that necessarily that Chio wanted out of Dallas. He just went to Jason Garrett, who was then the offensive coordinator, um, and that was in 2008, complaining okay. that that Romo was only throwing the ball to Witten, and 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 they were freezing Tio out of the offense. So uh, Jerry wound up cutting him after that season because he saw how disruptive he was being. Um, as far as the uh, when they met, yeah, they were they had come in um, for Cowboy rookie minicamp in 2003, and the team sent or the, the hotel sent a, a shuttle bus to the airport to pick him up, and they were the only two players that came in at that time that were on the on the bus. I mean, everybody comes flying into the country at different periods of time. So they just started talking, and neither one really knew who the other was at all, and they determined they were both cowboy rookies. And so they, they took the bus from uh, the airport to the hotel, which was, you know, five miles away, and they just started chatting. And, and by the time I got off the bus, you know, Romo being, you know, the lighthearted one and Jason being, you know, serious most of the time, uh, Romo asked Witten, you know, hey, let's go get some pepperoni pizza. Yeah. I mean, that was the first thing on Tony's mind when they got <laughs> to the hotel. And Jason, and Jason is looking at this as this is the start of my professional career, and I'm, I'm all football now. And he, he turned down Tony, but they, they became incredibly close. Um, as close as, you know, the relationship where he talked about with, with Aikman and Irvin and, um, I mean, they're so close that their their post football career is now is now the same, uh, both in television. Romo also told you in the book that he kind of looks back on disappearing in the lead up to the playoffs with Jessica Simpson as just not being particularly smart. Even though his head was still in the game, it it gave off the bad optics. And because the Cowboys are so outsized in terms of the eyeballs and the attention paid to them, Romo looks like, based on the way I read it, he kind of regrets making that choice. Yeah, and he was pretty clear in that it was a mistake, and if he had to do it over again, uh, he would. But he, but he would do it over. I mean, he he just felt. I'll put it this way, Jason. I don't think him going to Cabo itself on a weekend that the coach gave them off, and he went with Jessica Simpson and went with Whitten and Bobby Carpenter and their wives, um, I don't think that in and of itself had anything to do with the outcome of the game. It was just a distraction and the questions that it caused in the week leading up to the Giant game that um, that put him in a bad light. And Again, you know, they, they went, they hung out. It was a very low-key weekend. They watched football. They, they laid on the beach and, 
And, you know, whether that had anything to do with him, the way he played the next week, and he, he didn't play a really poor game. It's just the Cowboys were the number one seed and they lost. Um, but the entire week leading up to that game, that was the main storyline is, you know, how serious a player is, um, is Tony Romo if when he should be home studying. Now, they didn't even know who they were playing because they had to wait for the outcome of the wild card game. But why wasn't he just home studying, you know, preparing for two opponents instead of taking time off? Um, if he had just stayed in Dallas and did exactly the same thing that he did in Cabo, but just did it in Dallas, um, nobody would have said a word. It was just the optics were really, really bad. And I, I think he, he does, definitely does regret that. What did Tony have to say about Dak Prescott and the way that the Cowboys and Jason Garrett moved to Dak as the starter didn't really push Tony out, but probably made it a much easier decision for him to go ahead and hang it up and move to the booth. Without question, um, you know the, the Cowboys wanted him back. I mean, Jerry wanted him to come back, and Jerry looks at Tony as, as his third son, and Stephen considers him his second brother, and um, they, they are closer than any um, or almost any owner player you know, relationship, but the way Dak played in 2016, it was impossible for Tony to get his job back when he was healthy. And he was really given no indication that he'd be able to compete for it in 2017 and after his release. And he could have gone and played for Houston last year. He had that opportunity. But when it came right down to it, he just didn't think it was in his best interest to, uh, to move his family and he didn't want to be away from his family. He had had the injury issues, although he was physically at that point, you know, okay to play, but he had been hurt just about every year. And then he got this incredible job offer that if you turn that down, it may never come again. And without the, without a chance to stay in Dallas and compete for his job, he just decided he'd rather he want, he wanted his next team to be CBS rather than the Houston Texans. That's pretty much what it came down to. Yeah, and he was awfully good as soon as he got to CBS. Just incredible how good he is. One one other question I'm real curious about that I know you touch on a lot when you're talking about Jerry Jones in the book. What is the relationship right now between Jerry Jones and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell? I'd say it's businesslike. That if it was. I would never say that they were the best of personal friends, but um, Jerry and, and Robert Kraft was, was certainly the two closest allies that Goodell had in the league office. They were the most powerful allies that he had for sure. And Goodell used to go to parties at Kraft's house. And uh, I know that, you know, that Jerry liked Roger. I would say that the combination of the flake gate and then what happened with Zeke Elliott last year, that's pretty much ruined any personal relationship between Goodell and Kraft and between Goodell and, and Jones. But both those men are, are so important to the league in the business area. They are the best two businessmen in the NFL that they, they continue to be uh, owners that, that Roger really relies on in that aspect. But the fact that he punished um, Kraft's best player and he punished Jones's best player, when both of the owners thought it was unwarranted, that, that has definitely impacted their personal relationship.
So this is your fifth book. I think it's great. It's a quick read. Wherever you are, you can read it on an airplane. You can do whatever you want. It's a really in-depth read with a bunch of great things. You may not even have an answer for this, but what's the sixth book going to be about? I've enjoyed your last two so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you've got next. That, that, I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's one in between there that um, that people need to know about because I really enjoyed this book and it was a little bit different. I wrote a book it was called My First Coach. Mm-hmm. That was after the Brady Manning book. And it's about the relationship between quarterbacks and their dads, and there's a, a chapter in there about not Peyton and Archie, but it's more about Eli and Archie, because everybody knows about Peyton and Archie. Um, so I, I looked at nine quarterbacks and their dads and their relationship and how they impacted their football careers. That I think people would really enjoy reading that, especially you know mothers and uh, moms and dads who have uh, sons and daughters who are really athletically inclined uh, I think there's a lot to learn from the different life situations that are in that book. But as far as book number six, I'm just going to concentrate on, on this one, travel around a little bit to promote it. Sure. I hope it does really well, and uh, and we'll see what's next. Yeah, I hope I hope that it does, Gary. I really enjoy your stuff. Like I said, there's so many great stories in this. I I don't want to give them all out. I want people to buy the book. So we're gonna we're gonna leave them out there. But I'll I'll give you a good plug. How about them Cowboys? It's fantastic. Always good to catch up with you, and best of luck with it. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you. That is the great Gary Myers. On the other side, we'll bring in the great Murphy Fair to finish up the week and talk some high school football. That is next here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back. Final segment of the week here on The Big Six. My thanks to Gary Myers. His book, How About Them Cowboys, is truly just full of nuggets. If you're a Cowboys fan or an NFL fan, check out that book. I thought his interview was great as well. We bring in Murphy Fair to finish off the week as we're going to talk high school football. As Murphy, I, I can't believe this, but we're two weeks away from the end of the season. Like This is week 10. I say this to you every week, but it feels like we just started, and here we are coming down the home stretch of the regular season. Yeah, actually, technically, whatever, we're only a week away because a week tonight right. is the final regular season uh, uh, showdown for so many teams across the state, and then the playoffs begin. Uh, it'll be uh, late November before we know it, and we'll be playing for state championships. Yeah, it seems like as you get older, time starts to pass a lot faster. At least that's that's what I'm starting to note as well. Where are you tonight? I think you're you're at Page Shelbyville. That should be an entertaining game. Yeah, I think so. Uh, both undefeated in the region. Uh, both have uh, pass happy quarterbacks who are very good at what they do. Uh, both teams have uh, have been winning on pretty much a regular basis. And like I said, this determines the uh, regional championship. I think both of these teams. Certainly are playoff bound. I think they both end up hosting first-round games, and it wouldn't surprise me if they both wind up going uh, two or three rounds deep into the playoffs and maybe even more. Two pretty good football teams. Yeah, you mentioned pass-happy offenses. Shelbyville's quarterback, Trammell, he's averaging, what, 226 yards, I think, per game. He's had two touchdown passes in every game this season, which, look, I know that doesn't sound like a lot if you're talking about the NFL, but if you're talking about high school, that is pretty solid consistency because you just don't see a lot of quarterbacks that are able to do that on a week week in and week out basis at that level. And he's been doing it for a couple of years. This makes three. I rode to uh, Crossville with he uh, with his coach and a couple of other guys earlier this week. We were picking all-stars 
for the annual East-West All-Star game in early December. And uh, the coach is already talking about how much he's going to miss that young man, not only the numbers he puts up, but the great leadership he provides for that football team. Uh, and certainly with a 7-1 and record, just like Page has, uh, it's a it's a very good football team. Should be a should be a pretty exciting ball game, I think. I believe there'll be a pretty big crowd there for that one. Can well. you can you figure or do you have a uh, a pick on it? Because I've seen it split down the middle. Like I could see it going either way. I guess just depending on who makes more mistakes. If there are a couple of turnovers in the game, that could swing it. But it looks like it's one of those. It's definitely a toss up. Oh, I think so. Uh, I think Shelbyville is probably a a little bit of a of a favorite, but you know we've talked about the quarterbacks. I think this game hinges on the secondaries that both teams have because if one of those quarterbacks throws uh, two or more picks, uh, all of a sudden it's a it's a game changer. So uh, that's the main reason I'm going. Maybe the marquee matchup tonight is NBA at Brentwood Academy. Two seven and one teams, which may surprise. Some folks, but B.A. lost to McCauley. Then both of these teams had buys last week, so they should be coming in ready to play football. And this could be, should be a whale of a football game. Well, I think so. Uh, no doubt. Lots of talent on the field. Uh, if NBA wins the game, they win the region outright. If Brentwood Academy wins the game, all of a sudden we've got a three-way tie for first place. And things really get complicated there because all NBA, McCauley, and Brentwood Academy each have only one loss. Uh, three very good football teams, maybe not quite as good as B.A. has been uh, the last couple of years, but with the kind of talent that they've sent on to play at the next level, that's very understandable, and I think there'll be a SRO crowd tonight for that one. should be another exciting game. I debated long and hard about which one to attend, uh, and I don't think anybody could go wrong at going to either one of those games. Yeah, I think you picked offense over defense, Murphy Fair, our guest uh, here on the Big Six to close out the week because neither NBA or Brentwood Academy are giving up more than 10 points a game on average defensively, and they are sacking the quarterbacks like crazy, and these are first-year starters on both sides playing quarterbacks. So this is one where the first team to 20 might actually win the game. Yeah, Brentwood Academy on offense a little bit stronger, averaging uh, close to 30 a game, where NBA's more in the low 20s. But uh, still two very explosive teams on offense, and uh, if somebody gets on a roll and momentum stays on that side of the field, it could end up being a two- or three-touchdown ball game, but I really don't see that happening. 32 games last night across the state on a Thursday. We're not complaining. It's uh, it's cool to have that kind of thing going on, and some big games as well. But you do your prognostications every week, and you had quite a night. I think you were what eighty five percent last night. Uh, closer to ninety, I think. Wow, uh, twenty nine and three, so that works out uh, pretty well. I've been about eighty three or eighty four percent on the entire state the last three or four weeks. So I'll take that uh, take that every year. I've got a great co host in Steve Armstead who does. Uh, so many voices from the Andy of Mayberry show and <laughs> great Keith Jackson. It's a good blend of uh, 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 picking high school football games and a little hee-haw humor thrown in there as well. Unfortunately, we've talked about one story like this already, and it actually has implications tonight. Henry County and Northeast, that could have been, should have been a huge football game, but forfeited wins kind of changes uh, what it means to Northeast and the forfeited win stories have not stopped this year because Giles County 
for the second time under David O'Connor has been disciplined for TWSAA violations, had to forfeit five wins, and is going to miss the 3A playoffs this year. Yeah, and it must have been uh, a pretty cut and dry because, generally speaking, you you see a lot of finger pointing here and there about this sort of thing, but more times than not, it seems like it never comes to trial, so to speak. Uh, but this one certainly did in uh, a situation where I think somebody had changed residency into Giles County, and then all of a sudden after the season got started, one or maybe both parents moved back to Alabama uh, where uh, where David possibly had been coaching before he came back to Giles County. And uh, you hate it for the kids yeah. who, who are, are doing the right thing, doing it the right way, and all of a sudden uh, the desire to win overrules common sense and uh, honesty and everything else. And I hate it for those for those other young men and parents who uh, have have done so much and worked so hard to get to where they are, and and the actions of two or three uh, has cost them an opportunity to go play in the postseason. Yeah, well, a lot of times the one percent spoils it for the other ninety nine. That's for sure. So a lot of on the way out, ton of regional titles being determined tonight, and even more next week. This is a fun time of year. Well, it really is because it's nail biting time and. Uh, so many teams on the bubble. We got to win this week, or we got to win next week if we want to play in November. And uh, it certainly is the the real exciting time of the year. And we finally got some football weather too, so it ought to be a good clear night for football in the mid state. Well, enjoy Page and Shelbyville. Uh, that should be that should be a really fun game. Probably a lot of offense. I'm sure you'll be talking to the guys uh, tonight here on the zone once that game is over, and you'll be talking to me next week. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. It's been a week. Thanks, Murph. Appreciate it. That is the great Murphy Fair. We are out of time. High school football coverage follows us tonight. What are my picks for the weekend? Titans ain't beating the Chargers. I don't know that it's going to be a blowout. Most London games are. I think the Chargers are a top five team in the league right now. At worst, they're top seven. The Titans, spoiler alert, not top seven. Vols, Can they keep it within four touchdowns tomorrow against Alabama? If they do, I think it's a win. Nobody's kept it within 30 all year long. And I'm tending to think neither will Tennessee. That's it for us. We'll see you later on this weekend. I'll be with the Tennessee Tailgate Show. Albert Hainsworth joins us tomorrow on the Tennessee Tailgate Show to get you set for Alabama-Tennessee. We'll see you then.